Welcome to episode 88 of the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Beth Below. Thanks for sharing this time with me today. Whether this is your first time listening or you've been listening for a while, I hope you hear something that will make you smile, spark an insight, improve your business, or even change your life. Are you the stereotypical introvert bookworm who totally gets the saying, so many books, so little time? If so, you'll be interested in this episode's sponsor, a site called 100mustreads.com. There you can access business book summaries of some of the top business books available. Right now they have an introductory offer, which I'll share with you about halfway through this episode, so stay tuned. Speaking of books, there's a particular book that I want to recommend before we get started with our interview. It's called The Genius of Opposites, How Introverts and Extroverts Achieve Extraordinary Results Together by Jennifer Conweiler. I recently recorded a podcast interview with Jennifer about the book, and I cannot wait to share it with you next month. One of my favorite parts is her advice to bring on the battles, to embrace any introvert-extrovert conflicts as a means to innovation and creativity. The book itself is full of anecdotes and scripts to help you navigate any choppy waters you find yourself in. So look for that podcast conversation coming in late October. I'm really pleased to welcome Andrea Lake to the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast to share insights that she's gained as the founder of multiple businesses, all while balancing her introvert and extrovert energies. Andrea is a serial entrepreneur who has founded 14 companies since she was 18 years old. Her current active companies are StickerJunkie.com, Yoga Junkie, and Delinquent Distribution, which owns sales rights to the merchandise for the largest video games in the world, including Minecraft. She's also the co-founder of Mentor Mojo, which we're going to learn more about during our conversation. Hi, Andrea. Welcome to the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. It's a great pleasure to be chatting with you today. It's so great to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Beth. I really appreciate it. Well, what is making you smile today? Well, I'm in Boulder, Colorado, and it could not be more gorgeous. And I have a really, really great hike to look forward to later in the day. Awesome. Yeah. I love that. Then that means, you know, it's we're talking on a Friday. That that sounds like you've got a good uh, balance of a little work and a little play. Yes, it is. It is a good balance of both. What's making you smile today? Oh, good question. Good question. It's a gorgeous day here in Tacoma. It's like, mm. you know, sunny and high of 81 and... My yard is full of uh, wild blackberries. <laughs> oh, yay! And so, part of my play, maybe a little bit later on, is uh, you know getting a ladder and taking a basket and going out there and uh, picking some and then making some cobbler tonight. <laughs> oh, well, I wish I was in Tacoma. That sounds amazing. Yeah, we well, blackberries take over the world around here. So <laughs> it is, but it is pretty cool to just walk to your backyard and uh, pick some fruit that you can instantly turn into a delicious meal or dessert. So I want to start out by, you know, giving our listeners a little context about where you fall on the introvert-extrovert spectrum. Mm -hmm. How would you describe where you are on that spectrum? And how would you say that your awareness of that has influenced you as an entrepreneur? Mm -hmm. I actually fall on the extremes of both sides. And mm. so I create lots and lots of community and lots of entrepreneurial community 
my side um, passion project that is not for money is that I uh, host an event once a year with 70 of the most amazing entrepreneurs on planet Earth, and they come to my home, and we play these, like, vulnerability workshops and go to do ropes courses and all kinds of fun stuff, and I'm, like, the life of the party. However, <laughs> I'm also the person that will tuck away to my vacation home in Sedona uh, and not literally not talk to anyone for a week. Mm-hmm. So it, I really, really have the extreme of both sides, and I like both sides very, very much. I value them a lot. Yeah, that's nice to be in touch with both of them. And, 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 you know, and I've heard that before where, you know, people can operate at the sort of, you know, a wild swing of the pendulum, like they'll have a really outgoing period, and then they have an, a period of almost isolation, where they have to just mm-hmm. like hunker down and both can charge them. Yeah. But they can get charged up from it. And it can be tiring. So they need the opposite in order to kind of balance things out. <laughs> that certainly fits my personality. Exactly. Exactly right. Yeah. Well, I want to touch on your your business experience. And um, as we learned in the introduction that I shared, you started your first business when you were 18 years old. Mm -hmm. And tell us what it was. And what was the most important thing that you learned from that experience that has stayed with you today? Well, the first business I had was called Rhythm Sticks. It's the sticks where you hold two sticks in each, one in each hand, and then you're using those two sticks to maneuver around a third decorated stick. Um, it's, it's like a juggling toy. Uh-huh. Yeah. I can picture that. <laughs> they are super, super fun, and mine were really, really, really beautifully designed. I actually, I don't, I don't own that company anymore, but because I was so obsessed with them and, and because nobody has ever matched the quality of what I uh, had done with them, I still keep an Etsy store for people who are obsessed with them and want really, really, really good ones. They can uh-huh. find them on Rhythm 6, S-T-Y-X on Etsy. And I just loved that company. And, you know, I was 18, so I was doing, I was like a baller for an 18-year-old. I was making like 40 grand a year, which was all the money in the world. Oh my gosh, um, fortune. But what I, yeah, why I didn't go to college. Uh, but what I realized was um, after a couple of years of doing that, like I didn't even think of myself as a business person. Mm-hmm. I just thought I was really lucky, certainly not an entrepreneur, uh, like that I was just lucky I knew how to do this one thing and that I really, really liked playing with them. Mm-hmm. But after like three years, I realized that I knew how to run a company uh, because the sales got, you know, quite good into in six figures. And I thought I could run any company. And that was the biggest takeaway. If I can run this company, then I can run any company. And that's when I started to get into clothing and apparel. Yeah. Well, you before you and I were, when we were just chatting before we started the interview, we talked about ignorance is bliss. And it sounds yeah. like, you know, you for about three years, you know, without even thinking about like, I'm a business owner, or I'm an entrepreneur, yeah. you were doing all of those things. And, and I'm guessing it gave you a lot of courage. Like you said, you know, if you can do that, you can do anything. Yes, and just just understanding, and I was like, oh, I can sell this many of these to this store. Like, my average store would buy, you know, like two dozen pairs, like 24 pairs. And I thought, well, what what if I had a product that I could sell five times as many of? And that's mm-hmm. why I started the t-shirt line. Yeah. I was like, I could make five times as much money easily. And I heard of this guy that was making like $10,000 a month selling t-shirts for profit, which was really all the money in the world. <laughs> and so <laughs> I said, I am going to go do that. <laughs> mm, nice. Mm-hmm. So you, your entrepreneurial spirit was alive and well very early, and uh, it sounds like it was very innate. Mm-hmm. Were your parents or anyone you know close in your family entrepreneurs that you saw as models? Mm-hmm. So sort of. My dad had been in the military for twenty years. He was a submarine man uh, in the Navy. Mm-hmm. He was like young Bell Washington's character. He was the chief of the boat, okay. the high enlisted man. Uh-huh. And then my mom was a computer scientist. She was a PhD in computer science in nineteen eighty, which was 
wow. like ridiculously amazing, especially yes. if she's the only woman in her graduating class. Um, but they had left when my dad got out of the Navy and became real estate agents, and they ended up becoming the number three real estate agent in all of California for Century 21. Mm-hmm. And it is quite an entrepreneurial thing, even though they were within Century 21. And my dad used to just always say to me, Andrea, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you're the CEO of Coca-Cola. Somebody else is controlling your time the amount of freedom that you have and the amount of money that you can make. And you do not have a personality type that's going to go so well with that. <laughs> and so you really, really need to work for yourself. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I'm not sure. so young when he started saying, I'm not sure exactly what he thought in me at such a young age, but he could not have been more right. I just couldn't work for somebody else. Yeah. Oh my gosh. What a fabulous mm-hmm. um, mirror he was, you know, seeing things mm-hmm. that, that maybe you were, you know, not seeing. And, uh, you know, lots of times what I've heard from some entrepreneurs, they'll say like, my family doesn't get it. You know, they're like, why would you want to take all that risk? What, why not get a steady paycheck and, and all that? So, uh, you know, it's amazing to hear and, and very inspiring that, that your father, you know, and, and it sounds like your mother probably too, you know, really encouraged you. Mm-hmm. Yes, very, very much so. The rest of my uh family does not understand as much, but they <laughs> yeah. could not possibly be, they do understand, they could not possibly, possibly be more supportive. Yeah. But, you know, they're like, you have a very high risk tolerance, but they have been unbelievably supportive through yes. all of my ups and downs. Yeah, that is so, so important. How fortunate. Yeah. I want to talk for a moment about something I saw in, in one of your Mentor Mojo videos, and maybe you can tell us okay. really quickly what the Mentor Mojo is. Sure. Um, but in one of those, you talk about um, being clueless, and maybe this goes along mm-hmm. with that ignorance <laughs> is bliss, you know, because it's it, being clueless is not something that people are generally comfortable with. Like we like to appear mm-hmm. competent and like we've got our act together and we know everything. Mm-hmm. So what role does being clueless play in business when we also want to be projecting confidence? Yes. Well, 100%. I could not agree with you more. And it's one of the most important lessons, actually, that I learned in my life with mentorship. Mentorship, I didn't go to college, and so I always had mentors that were multiple levels higher than I was in business, sort of getting me up to their level. And then if I would reach that level, I would get a different mentor that was a higher level of business and had created what I wanted to create. And so I tried because I was so young and quite arrogant. Who's not when they're in their 20s? And so I tried to project as if I knew all sorts of stuff, but I didn't know anything. Mm -hmm. And so when I started really reaching into authentically just saying, I am quite capable and I can learn anything, but I have no idea what I'm learning, what I'm doing here. Mm -hmm. um, I found that people were like a thousand times more helpful. Yeah. Because especially if you are... You know, not contrite in a self-defeating way, but if you're just, like, really, really eager to learn, you're like, wow, you know everything. Like, I still do this with my friends. Like, wow, you know everything about Facebook ads. I don't know anything about Facebook ads. Can you teach me? Mm-hmm. And they're like, they're just happy to share all of the acquired knowledge they've learned. Yeah. And I believe very, very strongly in mentorship and not, you know, reinventing the wheel. That's why we created MentorMojo.com. It's a uh, mentorship platform. We also have another mentorship platform that's, far, far more detail-oriented called Lessons.biz, mm-hmm. where you can take six-week live courses with experts who have already done exactly what you want to do. So yeah. I, I just love the whole process and the whole ability that technology offers to, like, <laughs> hyper-accelerate your learning. We didn't have that, you know, when I started my company in 92. 
Yeah, I'm sure it will get better. But you know, I don't think there's ever been a better time to be an entrepreneur, especially if you're an introvert, because you've got the world at your fingertips without even, you know, I mean, you do need to do face to face and, and be out and seeing people. But at the same time, there is a tremendous amount of connection you can make just through technology. You know, it's really, really true. Um, And you need to be out ish, not not even necessarily when I started my first clothing company at establishment clothing, I just would send catalogs to stores and call them on the phone and I did everything remotely from Sedona, Arizona. I moved my offices from San Diego because I realized I could live every, anywhere mm-hmm. and I was doing millions of dollars in sales remotely without ever meeting clients in person. I was just very personable on the phone. Right, um, right. So it is completely possible. Now with Lessons.biz, like, I, obviously I owned the sales rights on Minecraft, World of Warcraft, Call of Duty, Walking Dead. And my business partner started tap out clothing. So we had sold millions and millions and millions and millions of t-shirts and hundreds of millions of dollars worth of merchandise. And we teach people exactly how to no joke, legit, start a t-shirt company. You can find out if your ideas are good. You can find out if they're going to fail. But what's fascinating to us is with these platforms now like threadmeup.com and teespring.com and Cotton Republic and all of these amazing, amazing platforms, you can be an introvert and just like come up with a t-shirt design and put it online. And I actually personally have a friend that's selling $3 million a year on Amazon that doesn't interact with clients at all other than through email. Yeah. Period. Yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. It is amazing. It is amazing. And I know, you know, huge, huge, very introverted people who are public about the fact they're introverted that run, you know, nine-figure and ten-figure companies. Amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about a quote. Um, I believe it's Jim Elmore, and I might be remembering the name wrong, so my apologies. But he, he um, in a, in it was a book or a, um, some sort of series called Growing Leaders, and he says, even the most introverted person will influence um, upwards of 10,000 people during their lifetime. Mm-hmm. And what I thought was interesting about that quote is that he said that back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And when you think now about, you know, how much we've come and how many people we can influence and, and reach, you could easily add a few zeros to that number. Mm-hmm. So the possibilities are really limitless when you think about it that way. It is. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, well, you know, listeners who've been with me for a while know that when I talk about introversion and, and extroversion as well, I talk about it in terms of energy as opposed to personality. So it's really where you gain and drain your energy, you know, and as you shared in the beginning about that spectrum, you know, it, it sounds like, you know, getting lots of charge from the people and then getting lots of charge from really like disconnecting from the people. You know, I think that managing our energy is really key to creating sustainable business. Mm-hmm. How do you, even on a, you know, so we talked about like maybe that big arc of, you know, lots of time with people, then lots of time alone. Yeah. On a, Maybe on a daily basis, how do you manage your energy to make sure that you are staying, you know, you're keeping yourself sustainable? Because as we have been listening, you know, it's clear that you've got your finger in a lot of pots. <laughs> and so how do you, how do you manage your energy? You know what, I uh, take a really lot of time for myself throughout the course of my day. Mm -hmm. And so I do work remotely for my team uh, really, really often. And I have multiple different teams in my different companies. But I always make sure that I have time to do journaling, to meditate, to go on hikes, to take my dogs to the dog park, to hang out with my friends, to go on dates, to do all of the things that are important for my life. Yeah. Yeah, so making that a priority. Yes, yes. But I also, like, a lot of times when I hear about work-life balance, I, I just think that's for people who hate their job. 
Mm-hmm. It's not only for people who are obsessed mm-hmm. with the with the companies that they're growing that are passionate to them. Yeah. So I really just focus on having companies that are super, super fun for me to work on that are hitting straight into my core passion. Yeah. Um, because then there's no there's no good word for it because it certainly is not work. Right, right. And, you you know, when you bring up that work-life balance, it reminds me that there's, I don't know how big of a trend it is, but I've definitely heard more people speaking of work-life integration, mm-hmm. where you're really trying to bring elements of each into your life. Like I think of my husband right now, he's on a vacation, but he has his laptop. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like it would be more stressful for him to be on that vacation if he did not dip into work every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And so he's able to integrate a little bit of that into his free time. So it's like, you know, maybe 75, 80% taking the sailboat out or, you know, sitting on the beach and then maybe 25% keeping up with things Mm -hmm. so that when he gets back, it's not like an avalanche. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. And when I'm usually, when I'm traveling with friends, first of all, virtually all of my friends are serial entrepreneurs and so they all get it and they're all in the Mm -hmm. same boat Mm -hmm. Um, and if I'm vacationing, like I just was in Seattle for five days uh, a few weeks ago with a couple of my entrepreneur friends up there and I just brought writing stuff because I knew I wanted to finish this book that I was working on and I knew that I wanted to get some articles out and stuff and then so it's an easygoing fun thing to work on while I'm also vacationing yeah and I set myself up like on this beautiful balcony in Seabrook mm-hmm. <laughs> overlooking yeah. the ocean and then we went back to Seattle and set myself up again on a beautiful balcony overlooking the skyline of Seattle so it is quite it is quite good I'm jumping in here to share that special offer from our sponsor, 100mustreads.com. Their business book summaries offer the most valuable nuggets of wisdom from top business books at a fraction of the time and cost. They've taken bestsellers from authors like Tim Ferriss, Rosabeth Moss Cantor, Jim Collins, and Jack Canfield, and boiled them down into 45-minute audio summaries or 8- to 12-page PDFs. It's the perfect solution for busy entrepreneurs on the go. Discover how to start a business while waiting for the bus, new persuasion techniques while waiting for a client, or turn your car into a knowledge factory while you're commuting. Here's that special offer. To get their introductory pay-what-you-want offer, just go to 100mustreads.com backslash introvert. So that's the number 100mustreads.com backslash introvert. May I ask what the focus of the book you're working on is? Oh, yes, I just finished it. It's called How to Build a T-Shirt Empire. Excellent. And it's actually like a textbook on how to um, start a t-shirt company. It comes with the course on Lesson Stop is the six-week course. And it's like a 140-page guide, and it's unbelievable. It's like liquid gold. It's everything that I wish that I had when I was starting my first clothing line. Because, um, yeah. you just you know, if you, when you don't know what you don't know. And so if you're making every single mistake that every other person has made before, it's not a very good plan. Yeah. Well, that's such yeah. a, a beautiful segue to my my penultimate question, which is okay. around like, what is the key piece of business advice that, that you find yourself giving people over and over and over again? Mm-hmm. There is more than one. Let me choose. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the first one is simple and so short. Get a mentor. Get a mentor. And I have all kinds of advice around how to get a mentor. Get a mentor who is in your same industry, but non-competitive and about five to 10x more successful than you are. So if you're making $100,000 a year, get a mentor that's making a million dollars a year to teach you the ropes of how to get to the next level. When you get to a million, go to 10 million, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And the other one is put a dollar figure on your time. I think this is what kills entrepreneurs. 
when they're first starting out because they think that they're saving money by doing everything themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely not the case. Mm-hmm. So whatever your dollar figure is, when I started this, my mentor had me do this. Mine was a whopping $20 an hour because that was a really lot of money to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah and that, but that meant I'm not packing boxes anymore. Mm-hmm. And seeing I had a consumer product fit company, I actually would suggest spend that exact same amount of time for every hour that this woman that I hired was coming in and doing the really basic admin office stuff. I think she was working like 15 hours a week. I would do sales calls. Mm-hmm. And in that year, my company went from making like $250,000 in sales the previous year to a million that year. Yeah. Because 15 hours of sales calls is a lot of hours of sales calls. And then when I would see the positive results on it, of course, then I just started only doing sales calls with my time. I could see that that is where I should be spending my time and I should outsource every other thing. Yeah. I really, really, really think that entrepreneurs need to look at that because you can pack boxes better than anyone else. You can you know, respond to customer service emails better than anyone else. But it is not the most important utilization of your time. You need to be making your company money and gaining new clients. That's it. And if it's not doing one of those two things, you probably shouldn't be spending your time there. Yeah. Because if you really think about it, it's like, you know, you could be spending that time spending money by doing it yourself and really being like the world's most highly paid box packer or receptionist. (laughs) (laughs) Or you could be spending that time raising money, you know, making money. Exactly. We sometimes have trouble like seeing it that way because we're like, oh, I'm saving, you know, $20 an hour by not hiring somebody. And it's like, yeah, but you're actually spending like $100 an hour because you could be making money. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Exactly. Exactly. It is so funny, but that perceptual shift will dramatically increase the deal flow that you have coming into your company, whether it's a physical product that you sell or strategic partnerships that you're putting together. But when you hire on that first person, even if you're only getting like an intern for 10 or 15 hours a week, Mm -hmm. just make sure that you're super dedicating that time towards making your company more money and watch how far and fast it will go. Exactly. I mean, yeah, that's such a great reminder because then we could say, okay, so I just hired somebody to do this. Now I have all this other time. Make sure you are actually doing something that is revenue generating as opposed to chasing a bright, shiny object. Or, right. you know, yeah. which is so tempting, <laughs> isn't it? Because there are so many. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. And sometimes, like, uh, not usually for CEOs, but for introverted CEOs, perhaps, uh, lead gen and sales can be frightening. Yeah. Um, stressful. And stressful, exactly. And um, so then I do find it to be easier because there is a lot of rejection in it to make sure that you have a slotted segment of time where you are going to do this for this amount of time period. You're going to reach out this many emails, you're going to make this many phone calls, you're going to set up this many coffee meetings, period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in closing, mm-hmm. you know, I have to ask about, because mm-hmm. I don't think I've had anyone on my podcast who's been on a, on a reality show, but you were on season five of The Apprentice. And I would uh, love to hear what your biggest takeaway was from that experience. You know, absolutely. It was a long time ago. It was like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time, and the reason that I actually did the show, one of my mentors um, had very strongly encouraged me to do it because he was like, you've had such a high degree of control over your whole entire life. Being, I was an entrepreneur that would be good for you mm-hmm. <laughs> to work with a team. Mm-hmm. And um, the very biggest takeaway was that I was so lucky with the life that I had constructed for myself. And I really didn't understand a lot of the other contestants. I didn't understand the, the way that they functioned in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't understand the way that people uh, were living life in general because I have always chosen Every single person that has ever worked in any one of my companies, every vendor that I have, every client that I have, every every person. And um, I just 
don't work with people who are not nice, good people. Mm-hmm. Even clients, it doesn't matter how much they'll spend with me. So to go onto a TV show where I had to work with people who had exceedingly challenging personalities, who I never, ever, ever would hire or work <laughs> with or have as a client ever, mm-hmm. um, in the other contestants and even in some of the corporations that we were dealing with on the project, I just thought life could be so much better and so much easier for these people if they just were happy. Yeah. And I was so thankful that I was able to build a world around myself um, where I was dealing with like really happy, good feeling people who liked their lives. Because yeah. I realized in that moment that the people that I was competing against were living a very normalized experience in different corporations where they really hated their jobs and they mm-hmm. hated their bosses and they hated their lives. And I mean, not all of them, certainly, but a lot of them. And they were just used to this like, backbiting stressful situations and um it just made me feel really really lucky that i didn't have any of that in my uh, world yeah so hearing you're fired was probably a huge relief <laughs> well it really it really really was uh, they didn't uh, air this part but these girls had formed an alliance against me accusing of poisoning their food i'm not kidding say that again <laughs> yes these girls had formed an alliance i am i i love to cook I'm, uh, like a like a fake chef like a like a home cook and um, I made everyone breakfast, and they went in front of the cameras and threw it into the garbage and said, we're pretty sure she's trying to poison us. And I'm like, oh, no. um, that's attempted murder. Yeah. That would be attempted homicide. That's, <laughs> I, I, obviously, and I, I'm on camera. Like, but they wanted me to respond to it, but I didn't do it because I obviously I wouldn't respond. That is why I got fired, because I wouldn't respond to those allegations. Yeah. They, didn't cut, they didn't cut the show that way, but that is what happened. Um, and I just thought wow, this is so crazy. Like, Yeah, it sounds a little okay. insane. <laughs> it was it was insane. It was insane. Nobody knows that story because I was under a, uh, like, you have to sign off that you can't talk about what actually really happened for, like, five years. But right. now, like, five years is long, long, long yeah. over. And that, and that is what really happened. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. I just was like, um, okay, all right, I'm not, I'm not responding because I didn't want them to be able to use that on national television because I thought, oh, I can only imagine how they could edit this. Yeah, like yeah. Because they can really things. manipulate things. Yeah. Well, it sounds like the entire experience really. Um, I mean, it seems like on some level it confirmed like what was most important to you, like what your values were, and who you want to work with, and how you want to do business. And and you must have walked away from there just having that even more solid sense of who you are and what you're mm-hmm. what you're contributing. Yes, and it was fun. It was really fun, and I loved Donald Trump. He and I got along. Famously well, I've ran him a few times after the show. He is so, like, shockingly funny. He doesn't, to me, he didn't come off prior to meeting him in person as, like, super charismatic and witty and funny, but he is, like, yeah. legitimately, if you're sitting down with him, uh-huh. he's hysterical. Wow. And um, and the rewards were awesome, and then, like, getting to live at Trump Tower was fantastic, and just the access that Donald has to that city is off the charts. And so we would get yeah. to go to all of these amazing places that, like, people very, very rarely get invited into. So it was it was overall such a cool, super rad life experience. But, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing some, some insights into that. That's, you know, a world that most of us will probably never, you know, be in. <laughs> but it's fascinating to, to, uh, to have a peek behind the curtain. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I have a, a closing question I ask all of my guests. And, um, okay. and so you're, you put yourself in introvert mode where you're um, squirreling away in Sedona in your vacation mm-hmm. house. And you've got three weeks and you can only take three books with you. What? Oh. Yes, I know, I know. Oh. 
it's really hard. <laughs> but you can only take three books, and this is not a Kindle. Um, you know, what would you take with you and why? Um, can the Harry Potter series count as a one book? <laughs> <laughs> Have they published it as a single volume? <laughs> we'll just pretend that they did. So I would we'll take pretend. that for sure because I think that that book helps me more than any other book. I actually read it in continuum at, in, at night when I go to sleep. As soon as I finish the whole series, I start it over and just read a few pages every night. I've probably mm-hmm. read it 10 times. Because I think it helps to open up my creativity and mm-hmm. also just get lost in a really lovely fantasy world. I don't read a lot of um, fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that one, for sure, Atlas Shrugged, because I can always reread that. Yeah. Because I just think it's one of the best books on planet Earth. And probably Ask and It Is Given by mm-hmm. Esther Hicks, mm-hmm. which I, I am friends with her and I adore her. Um, and then I already have 10 more that I want to say, but you limited me to three. And <laughs> I did. I would, do, I would do Ask and It Is Given because it has really really phenomenal, fantastic writing exercises in the back, which I love mm-hmm. to help me get more honed in on what I want to create next. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you mm-hmm. for that. How can people learn more about you and Mentor Mojo and, and other offerings that you have? Um, well, they, of course, can go to andrealake.com. And then the best way to get uh, really open access to me is to take one of my courses on Lesson Stuff is because we are hyper-responsive in that class. We have really, really a lot of access to both my business partner, Dan Caldwell, and I. Okay, perfect, perfect. Mm -hmm. Are you particularly active on any social media platform? Um, You know, I kind of on Twitter. I'm starting to see Twitter. All my friends are making fun of me because I only have 800 followers on Twitter. So please (laughs) follow me on Twitter, Andrea Lake 101. Let's boost those numbers. (laughs) Because I am just starting to actually tweet. And my business partner, you know, has like a million followers. I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. I I guess I should get on here more often. Yeah, maybe have a little healthy competition there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Great. Well, yes, please, everybody, Andrea Lake 101 at Twitter. Yeah. So, um, well, thank you so much, Andrea. It's been great fun chatting with you and um, and hearing about all of the, the various adventures you've had as an entrepreneur. So um, thank you so much. Beth, thank you. I really appreciate you having me and all of the work that you're doing with all of the uh, introverts like myself at home. I hope you have just the best day. Thank you. I'm so glad you were able to join Andrea and me for the conversation. I hope you found it both entertaining and useful. If you want to learn more about Andrea and Mentor Mojo, that web address again is mentormojo.com. If you find value in these podcasts, I invite you to take a moment to stop by iTunes and leave a short review. Your reviews and ratings really make a difference. Special thanks to my podcast producer, Paul Messing, and the sponsor for this episode, 100mustreads.com. Sponsorship opportunities are available for future episodes. You can learn more at theintrovertentrepreneur.com. You can also learn more about my forthcoming book, The Introvert Entrepreneur, Amplify Your Strengths and Create Success on Your Own Terms, as well as about my coaching and speaking services. This is Beth Bilo of The Introvert Entrepreneur, and until we meet again, remember that success is an inside job.